Hello, welcome to the Times Visual's Daily Briefing. It is Wednesday, January 11th, and I'm Jessica Steinberg. I'm joined today by diplomatic correspondent Laser Berman and health and science writer Nathan Jafai. Hello, good morning to you both. Good morning. Hi, Jessica. Hi, Laser. Hello. So today we will cover the bumpy first weeks of diplomacy in Netanyahu's new government. Uh, an Israeli study on the Omicron fighting boosters, diplomacy with the Ukrainian foreign minister, and a backlash from obesity experts after Israel scraps its soft drink tax. Before we jump into it all, let's take a quick break. Okay, laser. You have said, I believe, that Netanyahu will often take the lead diplomatically with his new government, but it's been some bumpy first weeks. What can you tell us? Yes, uh, obviously, Netanyahu is one of the most experienced uh, leaders on the world stage in terms of diplomacy. He's very respected in that regard. And he has had some signal accomplishments, especially the 2020 Abram Accords during his previous tenure as prime minister. Um, I think uh, the world is hoping and is expecting that he does indeed take the lead as um, on Israel's foreign policy. But what we saw in at least in the first week of this new government, that um, some of his far right coalition allies are really setting the agenda. So the most prominent um, event that comes to mind is is the national security minister Itamar Ben-Gvir from the Otsma Yudit party went up to the Temple Mount last Tuesday morning, um, certainly something that Netanyahu did not want to have to deal with, and it seemed like he was trying to persuade him against it. Um, and that caused a whole series of statements and backlashes from Israel's most prominent allies. That includes includes in the United States, in Europe, and I think most perhaps worryingly, uh, the Abraham Accords countries, so the UAE and Bahrain, um, Egypt, So basically all of um, Israel's partners in the Arab world as well came out very strongly against it. And we also had UAE, which represents the Arab world on the UN Security Council right now, um, initiated an urgent discussion of that uh, visit to the Temple Mount, which they call uh, a violation of the status quo, though it is not. Um, Now, there was another unexpected, that was somewhat expected, right? You go to the Temple Mount, we know what, what's going to happen. Ben Gvir had also originally said he was not going to go, so then, and then he did go, so I imagine that also lends to the stress and pressure. Right, and, and not, the fact that he goes up obviously, you know, annoys some people, but the fact that it shows, um, I think, to the world that Netanyahu might not be in charge um, of setting the agenda as much as they would like. Um, you know, th- they certainly have dealt with him in the past, and, and you know, he's someone that, that they're perfectly happy to deal with. Um, but it's the these new elements in Israel's government, not necessarily new, but that they have not uh, seen setting the agenda. So there's Ben Gvir and Smotrich, and, and they're waiting to see, I would say most of Israel's allies, waiting to see um, you know, how much they set the agenda and what this means about the actions of this government. Now, there was this other unexpected uh, little blow-up when last week as well, when Foreign Minister Eli Cohen gave his inaugural speech to the Foreign Ministry, he said that uh, whatever happens, whatever policies are pursued by Israel on the Ukraine-Russia front, we're going to talk less in public about it. And that came at the same time as he said he was going to speak with Russian Foreign Minister Sergei, Sergei Lavrov the next day. And that was interpreted by many, and I think in Ukraine as well, um, as an indication that Netanyahu was going to shift policy toward Moscow's direction, that they were going to criticize Moscow less. Um, and the fact that they were he was taking Lavrov's call um, ahead of Kuleba, 
the Ukrainian foreign minister really did upset Ukraine. Um, and there were some statements, some made to me, some made publicly, um, that indicated their displeasure. So that was the, the, the first week we've seen, you know, kind of that, that wave crest and, and things smooth, smooth out a little bit. There was the, the, the third meeting of the negative forum working groups. Um, in in the UAE, which Israel participated in fully, and there was no uh, bumps in the road because because of that. So it seems like these these relationships are kind of getting back on track. There are bigger interests um, bigger interests at stake here, but um, I do believe that Israel's allies are watching closely and is going to see if Netanyahu is going to take control of the agenda here. Okay. Interesting. Thanks for that, Laser. Nathan, you wrote up an investigation of the new COVID boosters that seem to show they cut hospitalizations significantly. What can you tell us? Yeah, this was the first major study, major wide-scale study with relation to the new um, boosters that have been basically strengthened against Omicron variants. What the study found was that uh, there was an 81% reduction in COVID hospitalizations among Israelis aged age 65 plus. Um, this was a very large sample. It was all of the 65 plus uh, people from one of from is actually Israel's largest health fund. Um, and so basically it was looking at the statistics of all of that um, and concluding an 81% reduction hospitalization for those over 65. That's very significant. Um, also, there was a conclusion on the uh, risk of death. Uh, we should preface this by saying that because there's kind of relatively small number of deaths, there's much more room for error with that statistic, but that was 86%. Um, now, what were we comparing with? What do these statistics actually show? Uh, it's not a comparison with the old boosters. It's not a comparison with the old vaccine saying how good are the Omicron boosters compared to the old vaccines. No, this is a comparison between those people who get the booster, which nowadays is always in Israel, the Omicron strengthened booster, and those people who've not boosted recently, those people who've not taken a booster recently. So it doesn't give a sense of how these are comparing to the previous boosters. But what it does show is that for people concerned about COVID today, getting a booster is going to make them much safer against hospitalization and possibly death if they're 65 plus. Do we know what the numbers are for people getting COVID boosters at this point? generally across the board in israel relatively relatively low pickup actually um so there's so this kind of there is some concern um about not enough elderly people getting their covid boosters so it could be going better interesting thanks for that nathan we're going to take a quick break when we're back laser will fill us in on uh, foreign minister ellie cohen's plans to speak with the ukrainian foreign minister and some other news Laser, Foreign Minister Ellie Cohen will be speaking to the Ukrainian Foreign Minister this week. What is the nature of their conversation? What do we think they're going to be talking about? Sure. So this request first came through Israel's ambassador in Ukraine, or to Ukraine, he's usually in Poland these days, uh, Michael Brodsky. And um, that was made shortly before last Tuesday's conversation between Cohen and Lavrov that I referenced earlier. 
It took several days for Ukraine to get back to Israel, probably to show its displeasure. The excuse was that uh, Kuleba is on vacation, which seems kind of hard to believe, given that uh, they are still in the midst of a very um, intensive and a very bloody war. Uh, so it was on Monday that uh, Ukraine's foreign ministry got back to Israel, again, through the ambassador, and said that they would be willing to have this call. Um, I think they feel they have shown their displeasure and the time has come to uh, speak to Israel to see what they can do. I would imagine there's really no expectation that there's going to be any defensive weapons delivered by Israel. This will probably be more about humanitarian aid, which Cohen has insisted uh, he is determined to to continue, to even expand. He met with um, Ukraine's, uh, one of the claimants to the chief rabbi title, Moshe Azman, yesterday in, in Israel, and, and pledged to, to continue to support uh, humanitarian efforts. It's somewhat challenging right now because it's not a state budget for 2023. So it does take a little bit of creativity to keep, um, you know, these massive, massive uh, shipments flowing. But uh, that is something that I'm sure will be on the agenda. Um, I do not imagine that they're going to speak about this or publish this in, in the readouts of the call, but uh, uh, certainly they'll be talking about uh, Iranian co- uh, cooperation with Russia and some of the more sensitive sides. But um, we know what Ukraine wants. Ukraine wants more weapons. Ukraine wants uh, Israel to, to join other Western allies in doing that. And uh, I don't think there's a very high chance of Netanyahu shaking up his relationship with Russia, um, which was the policy of the previous government as well, and I think makes perfect sense to everybody. Right, of course, but the timing of it is complicated and difficult. In other words, now we've got this new government that is not going to be reaching out to Russia more, whereas Ukraine is still dealing with its with this ongoing war. And how does Ellie Cohen then play the conversation knowing that his government and his prime minister want to keep up that conversation and relationship with Russia. Just a thought. I don't think there's necessarily a change in Israel's relationship with Russia. I mean, they didn't say they're going to reach out to them more. They said they're going to speak about it less. Um, and I think that was a criticism. What Cohen really meant when he said that speak about it less thing was that uh, Bennett had spoken extensively about that Israel can be a mediator and then that basically flopped. Uh, he wasn't able to make that happen. I think that Netanyahu really does want to be a mediator, not in ending the war, but in uh, helping bring about a ceasefire. And in order to make that happen, uh, you know, running his mouth and, and having his, his, his allies in the government, uh, you know, speak about this too much doesn't help. So he, I think he wants the best way to do this is quietly um, speak to both sides. And that can be a benefit not only to Russia, it can be a benefit to Ukraine, uh, you know, a way to... to to, to stop this war, which continues to, to, to kill Ukrainians, and also to the West. The West should probably be somewhat supportive of this because uh, there's not a ton of ways out and it's not doing anything good for anybody. So this could be an asset for the West, um, you know, if they let Netanyahu do his do what he wants to do. And, and you know, uh, he certainly uh, knows Putin well, and he might be one of the people that can pull this off. Interesting. Really interesting. Thanks, Laser. Nathan, We have this recently scrapped soft drink tax, a move made literally within the first week of Israel's new government. But now we have top obesity experts that are calling that an outrage and a very bad idea. Those are my words. What can you tell us about it? And do we think there's going to be any backlash given these comments that are being made? Yes. So let's take stock of where we're at, which is that a year ago, Israel introduced a tax on uh, 
sugary drinks, a tax on sugary drinks. It's a complex formula to decide exactly how much the tax is depending on the sugar concentration, but it does increase the price of sugary drinks. And the key thing here is that it has reduced consumption of sugary drinks. So it does seem to be having an effect, about a 10% reduction in the consumption of sugary drinks here in Israel, where there is quite a culture of these drinks. They have a very significant effect on children's health and the health of adults, concerns about diabetes, concerns about obesity, um, and very different really to the discussion about nutrition in food because everybody knows that, you know, food, okay, it's complicated, but these uh, sugary drinks are just seen as kind of empty sugar and empty calories. So that's why this kind of this significant discussion and concern about sugary drinks. So this tax seems to have been bringing down consumption um, and Israel's new minister, um, Betzalel Smotrich, another position he's taken is to abolish this tax as well as the tax on um, disposable paper goods and that's causing significant concern in the healthcare community. Israeli kind of uh, doctors have been very critical of it and now what's happened is that an alliance of 32 top obesity researchers from around the world have written to the Israeli government an open letter or open letters saying you know this or indicating that this is a mistake making a very strong argument for these kinds of taxes um, and basically kind of you know opening that discussion indicating that the international healthcare community feels this is not just an issue for Israel, but rather when you have a country that puts this tax in place and then takes it away, it's sending out very problematic signals. Right. Okay. Interesting. Obviously, we're going to have to see how that one plays out. And finally, give us this uh, good news that you've got here. An Israeli immunotherapy was licensed by a U.S. firm after demonstrating a 57% remission rate. That seems like something good that you want to share with us. Yeah, indeed. Um, this is uh, research that has been taking place as kind of a joint effort um, between Professor Cyril Cohen at Barilan University, who has spoken to us many times during the pandemic as kind of one of the leading COVID experts, as well as uh, cancer experts, together with Hadassah Medical Center in Jerusalem. And essentially what we have here is the development of a new Israeli immunotherapy um, that uses this kind of very exciting newer technique um, that involves the use of receptors, which are kind of molecules inside or on the surface of a cell. And what these do is they provide a very advanced way of binding to cancer cells, identifying them as a target for the immune system, and then basically boosting the immune system um, by activating T cells to attack the target. So while it all sounds kind of very technical, and indeed it is, and there's obviously huge amounts of detail here, the bottom line is that we're likely to see the development um, or actually commercialization of an Israeli immunotherapy. And what's happened is that a US pharma company um, has actually decided to license it for commercialization. So this is very exciting for kind of, you know, the Israeli fight against cancer. Obviously, we're always cautious 
we don't present ever, anything as kind of you know the ultimate and we kind of do put everything in context it is another uh, development that assists in that fight against cancer okay but very good to hear it so appreciate that thanks nathan so thank you for being on today's daily briefing and thank you laser for being on today's daily briefing as well it's been good to have you thank you bye guys And we'll be back tomorrow with another daily briefing. In the meantime, have yourselves a good day and a good listen. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. And be sure to check out our weekly feature, Times Will Tell, released every Friday. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.